Welcome to Here for Her Health, where we're building a better, healthier everyday for women. Brought to you by Organon. Welcome back to Here for Her Health, a podcast series sponsored by Organon with the goal of creating a better and healthier everyday for every woman. I'm your host, Wendy Lund, and today we're honored to hear from Selena Gore, Chief Executive Officer of Women Heart the National Coalition for Women with Heart Disease. Selena was brought in as CEO of the organization in 2019. Her career has been inspiring with positions completely focused on public health and service to others. Today, she is advancing the organization's purpose of fighting heart disease, which many women still don't realize is the number one killer of women. If heart disease is something you haven't already paid attention to before, this conversation is important for you. And as someone whose family has suffered greatly from heart disease, I can tell you it's widespread and it's devastating. Selena, welcome to the program. I am so happy to have you here and right in time for World Heart Day. So to get us started, can you share a little bit more about your journey with us? How did health become such a big part of your life and your passion. And how did you find your way to Women Heart? Well, thanks so much, Wendy. I'm very pleased to have this conversation with you today. My journey began actually with the loss of my mom at a very young age. She was 39 when she died of colon cancer. And that loss has definitely shaped the career trajectory, not just of myself, but of my two sisters. We three are all in the healthcare field. And I think we, without talking about it with each other, we decided that we were going to help other families to not have such a premature loss of a mom, a wife, or a sister, or, you know, of anybody. And my work has taken me around the world. I've worked in global health and corporate responsibility, and it's really allowed me a truly rich understanding of all the different ways that human beings live, become sick, and thrive despite all these challenges. And this journey brought me to Women Heart about three years ago. The opportunity to have impact on the number one killer of women was so compelling that I was convinced to leave my lovely life in London and move back to the US about three years ago now. Yeah, and, I, and I've loved it ever since. Well, we're lucky you came back to us. And you know, I'm sorry that you had to have that journey to get here, but certainly we're very lucky to have you here. So, so thank you. And, you know, I'm really excited today to talk about heart disease in women. Reason why is that this is such an under-discussed, under-recognized, under-diagnosed, all the unders. And it's something that we don't spend enough time talking about when it relates to women. And, you know, as I mentioned in my intro, it seems to me that many people are still really underestimating the prevalence of heart disease in women and its impact, despite all these things have gone on, you know, in the world around us. So I think it would be great if you could give a, you know, a fuller scope of the problem where we are today, including age and ethnicities most at risk. Absolutely. It's never a, a nice topic to talk about the number one killer for all of us, but it's a really important one. And I think what you said just sort of underscores the real need to have more of these conversations. As you mentioned, and as I mentioned earlier, 
cardiovascular disease is, is the number one killer of women, and parentheses, and of men, but it does cause one in three deaths each year. And so, you know, that's significant. And when we put it into some context, cardiovascular disease kills more women than all forms of cancer combined. And this is the part that really gets the attention of Women Heart. Only 44% of women recognize cardiovascular disease to be the greatest health threat. I still think that many, many women think breast cancer is their number one killer. So that's something, you know, that we have to work on more to raise the awareness level. Women who are 20 years or older, so a very young age, so this is not just a disease for women who are older. It affects quite a broad range um, of ages. And that's really important when we're thinking about important moments in a woman's life, like pregnancy and menopause. These life-changing moments are particularly important to focus on when we talk about cardiovascular disease. It is, sadly, the number one killer of new moms. When we talk about maternal mortality, which has gotten a lot of attention, over one-third of, of maternal deaths are due to heart disease. And we see this in particular for Black women. And so there is a real confluence here of heart disease and maternal health. I think the other really important points to note are that the disparities are quite vast. So what we know, for example, is that Black women are twice as likely as white women to develop chronic hypertension during pregnancy, which is, which is the, what I had just mentioned. But even more so, they are much more likely to be misdiagnosed and have a delayed diagnosis. So it's not just about the ex their health experience, but it's also about their health care experience. And that's something that we also try to address at Women Heart. I want to talk a little bit about specific diagnoses. So again, in terms of heart failure, which is a particular diagnosis that's certainly on the rise, Black women are, again, 50% at a higher risk of heart failure compared to white women. And this is true for coronary artery disease, which, again, impacts, disproportionately impacts non-white women. And it also is more likely to lead to heart attacks. So it is a vast kind of set of diagnoses. And it's also a wide array of experiences that has a lot to do with your ethnicity, your age, and your economic circumstance. So we also like to talk about the social determinants of health, which is something that Women Heart also tries to really emphasize. Yeah, I mean, you just encapsulated so many outrageous facts. <laughs> Selena, I, I feel like we could write a book with all these facts <laughs> that you just that you just brought up. So thank you. I'm going to definitely make sure that we start to really bring these out from behind the shadows and share some of these incredibly important statistics that people really need to hear about. One of the things that many guests on this program have told me and talked about is that the healthcare system is biased against women in numerous ways. And your organization has spent a lot of time before Congress to talk about the fact that women are badly un underrepresented in clinical trials for heart disease. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Why is progress so slow? First of all, I, th I think it's helpful to talk about a specific example. Let's take the example of statins. Statins as a treatment for cholesterol has been around for a long time. And this is such a good example of why we need the diversity of people to join clinical trials. So that's, I'll start there. The clinical research that has gone into these has really emphasized the diversity 
that is necessary in clinical trials. So I know one such study where they were able to achieve 50-50 men and women in their trials. And so it's no wonder that the tolerance for this treatment is much better in women because of the testing that they did in women prior to the release of the treatment. So that, that's just sort of background, I think some, some really, inf- really good information. But we continue to see massive underrepresentation of women in clinical trials. And we know what some of these barriers are. There is still to this day, some fear of experimentation, lack of trust, but also some really I think practical challenges like transportation, childcare, and it's not something that I think many women sort of automatically think about in terms of helping science or helping to improve outcomes and treatments. But despite some advances, we know that still it's only about one third of patients in clinical trials in cardiovascular disease are women and that the outcomes are not oftentimes are not disaggregated by sex. So it is something that we focus on. It's something that is part of our federal policy agenda. And it is something that whenever we get the chance, we want to raise the awareness among policymakers that it's something that they should address in in all of their policymaking. I mean, that's so, so important. You know, in addition to being underrepresented on the scientific side, and you gave such great examples The fact of the matter is also what we've learned over the last few years is that women are doing a lot of talking, but they're really not being listened to. They may not actually really know how to listen to their bodies when it comes to heart disease, may not be trusted to even know what our own bodies and when something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's even more true in the heart health space? Absolutely. It is something that has been a real education for me since joining Women Heart. I knew that heart disease is the number one killer of women before coming here, but I didn't realize all of the nuance of why that is true and all of the challenges that women face when they present in an ER or in a doctor's office with heart symptoms. Interestingly, over the last several months, I don't know if you saw, Wendy, in the New York Times, there's been a series of articles about the gaslighting of women in healthcare generally. But there was a specific piece about heart disease. And a few of our doctors who are on our scientific advisory council contributed to to that article, basically talking about the dismissal of women who show up with heart symptoms, who are often sent home without a diagnosis or worse, a misdiagnosis of mental health issues. Oh, you're not having any heart issues. It's a panic attack. Or you're not having any heart issues. We're going to give you treatment for anxiety. And that is not in any way to disparage the mental health aspects, the real mental health, uh, mental illness challenges in society. But I think that shows that the diagnostic processes, that the standards of diagnosis out there for women with heart disease are really kind of not sufficient to catch and effectively treat and manage heart disease in women. I'll give you one example that like continuously sometimes wakes me up in the middle of the night. One of our champions had just had her baby and she was in the hospital and she knew something was wrong immediately. And she told the doctors, I'm having a heart attack. And they said, no, 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 you're fine. You've just had a baby, you know, you're fine. And it turns out that she had a spontaneous coronary artery dissection, a SCAD that they didn't catch. I mean, obviously eventually they did, but 
you know, to, to be told and to be dismissed like that, to me, is encapsulated exactly by what you just said, which is that women are not trusted to know their bodies. And so we start having this conversation with ourselves. I've had this conversation with myself. I'm sure you've had when, this conversation, Wendy, when you say, am I crazy? Absolutely. Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. I didn't, isn't, this is not right. And so what we teach our champions, and that's what we call our volunteers at Women Heart, is that you have to be your own best advocate. You have to tune into your body and know when something is wrong and continue repeatedly to make the case for yourself to get the tests and to, to, to make sure that you rule out any significant and, and sort of urgent uh, heart disease issues. Yeah, I mean, I think your point about not being dismissive is incredibly important because there's so many things that you may not know that's going on there. It's important to just capture those feelings and make sure that we're checking them out with the professionals, yeah. right? And one of the things that we've heard loud and clear that in some ways it may be that the HCPs are just not equipped to diagnose the symptoms and signs of heart disease in women. Yeah. You made the point that a lot of the research and a lot of the, the work that's done, you know, even through medical school, may be more focused on, on men. So maybe could you offer some tips and suggestions on how to better equip HCPs, especially potentially male HCPs and the new generation of HCPs coming up that we have so much hope for? Absolutely. I want to put a plug in for a, a report that we put out last year. And the report is titled, From Errors to Solutions, Building a Research Agenda to Improve Diagnosis of Heart Disease in Women. And this is really central to our, our mission to combat misdiagnosis. And I think what you're saying is right about training. So one of the first things we say when we show up on the scene is women's experience of heart disease, and in particular, heart attacks, can often look very different to what I call the Hollywood heart attack of the man clutching his chest and kind of peeling over. That's what we have often heard from women is, oh, I just felt really, really tired. That was their only symptom, extreme fatigue that, you know, one day they could walk up the stairs normally. The next day they were out of breath when they got to the fifth step. That is a really important sign. And I think that healthcare providers, I think, are too quick to dismiss before going through maybe some routines in diagnostic testing. We know that when you show up to the ER with heart attack symptoms, they'll do the EKG, they'll take your blood pressure. So these are the kinds of things that I think we engage healthcare providers on is what is a standard of care in your hospital? What is a standard of care in your, in your ER? And how can we make it so that regardless of the symptoms that a person shows up with, man or woman, if they are complaining of chest pain, if they're, if they're saying I'm having a heart attack, there should be a standard set of diagnostic tools that sort of are put in place. It is, to me, it is a it is really kind of disparaging to the healthcare system when ca- female cardiologists are having to coach patients to say, say this word, this is the word that's going to get you the test that you need. We shouldn't have to do that. You know, we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to put that burden on the person that's suffering in that moment. It should be enough for somebody to say, I'm having chest pain and I'm having shortness of breath and I'm having fatigue that I've never felt before. That should be enough to trigger a battery of tests that to rule out heart attack. 
Yeah. And now we have a new factor in heart health, which is over the last two and a half years, we have COVID, right? And the pandemic. And we've heard so many different stories about people going to the ER, not going to the ER, presenting with heart disease, not presenting with heart disease, maybe taking care of themselves, not you know knowing how to take care of themselves in this new environment. Talk to us a little bit about the effect of COVID on women as it relates to heart disease. Well, interesting, because if we think about women, women have their own health issues, but women are by and large the main caregivers in a home, whether that is to their spouse, their children, to their parents. And so what we have seen is that in the context of, of COVID, women are putting themselves even further back because they're taking care of everybody first. And I think that that is something that we really need to pay attention to, which is why one of the things that we like to say to, to women uh, in the context of our work is keep in mind this notion of when they, you're on the airplane and they say, put your mask on before you help anybody else. We have to retrain women who have been taught to put themselves last, to put their mask on so that they can be there for others first. I think that's the first thing that we have needed to highlight in the context of COVID. But I think the other aspect of this that is we're seeing so clearly is that for two years now, we have hesitated to go back into the healthcare system. That is just a fact. And so in the, in the immediate shutdown of activities and all the lockdowns and quarantines, we saw an immediate decrease of 40% of heart attacks showing up to the ER. That's not because all of a sudden these things weren't happening. They just simply weren't presenting. And so as a consequence, the outcomes for these heart attacks are far worse because they're presenting much later. And so one of the things that Women Heart has done is put out a campaign called Maintaining Care, which is really to encourage people to go back into the healthcare system and, and seek out care. This hesitation, I think, has resulted in some pretty serious and dire outcomes for, for folks who are dealing with both heart disease and COVID. We also know that heart disease was and continues to be a significant risk factor in more negative outcomes from a COVID infection. So women tuned into Women Heart during these last two years to get kind of firsthand and, and the latest information about how to manage their exposure, how to go about their daily lives without running the risk of becoming infected with COVID, and also how to be safe when one of their family members did get infected. None of these conversations are easy, but it's really important that we equip women with the necessary information and tools to be able to take care of themselves and their families. All really, really great points and definitely to take note of, you know, as we continue to go through this. And we also know as we record this episode, the SCOTUS decision overturning Roe v. Wade continues to reverberate in different ways around the U.S. in so many different ways. And I'm sure many people are not thinking about what are the heart implications. So it would be great if you could share a little bit more about your thoughts and your, your team's thoughts about the heart implications around this. You know, Wendy, we, um, Women Heart put out a statement right after the decision came down, and we were very intentional to focus on the decision as it relates to heart disease in women. 
you know, we didn't want to, we wanted to stay in our lane. We wanted to make sure that this was directly relevant to the work that we were doing. And I think the the biggest take-home message is that oftentimes when you are treating heart disease in women, and in some cases, advanced heart disease in women, you will run into treatments that are contraindicated for pregnancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if a woman is on medication for her, you know, heart disease diagnosis and she becomes pregnant, there is a scenario where the what needs to happen is termination of that pregnancy. And so if that is the case, then it's not only OBGYNs that are, let's say, involved in some probably really, really challenging conversations, but it's also the cardiologist who is treating that woman. And, you know, we, we've already heard that doctors could be in legal trouble if they perform an abortion in certain states. Well, cardiologists may also be in some legal trouble if there is some counterindication between the treatment that they are providing to a woman with serious heart disease and the termination of that pregnancy. And so what the cardiology community has been talking about is that this decision is not just impacting the practice of obstetrics. It is also has a direct impact on the practice of cardiology. Uh, going back to the point that I made earlier, which is that we know that the number one cause of maternal mortality is cardiovascular disease. So there is so much here that goes far beyond what we initially think about in terms of the healthcare challenges of a decision like this. Thank you. Thank you for all that input. It's really, really helpful to hear all that. Now, I have one last question for you, and this could be one of the most important ones for our listeners. When you think about the number one thing you want people to do right now, how can they really make a difference for their own or another woman's heart health? I want to bring in here mental health. And I do that because we know that there are many, many people who are struggling with their mental health that are probably not really aware of it. And so if you're asking, like, what is the one thing that you can do right now? I want it to keep it as simple as possible. You can, at any point that you feel like your world is spinning out of control or you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling stressed, you can stop and take 10 deep breaths. And that sort of resets us immediately to think about being in the present and staying in, in this moment. I think that, you know, when we do get overwhelmed, it's really easy to go down some, some pretty negative spirals. But we know that stress is one of the most important risk factors in terms of heart disease. So if we can control our sort of our negative thoughts, take a deep breath, take, take control of our our respiration and our blood pressure by doing that simple that simple act, I think that really helps us to kind of readjust our ability to handle the stressors that come our way. Thank you, Selena. All great advice today. I'm sure that everyone listening has learned a lot. I know I have. And uh, I just want to thank you again. Thank you so much, Wendy. I've enjoyed it. Thank you again to Selena Gore for joining us today. And thanks to all of our listeners as well. Please remember to leave a review if you're enjoying the show and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss an episode. 
I'm Wendy Lund, and this is Here for Her Health, brought to you by Organon, where we're building a better and healthier every day for every woman. 